Healer. Amen. So would you stand and open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1 as we start our study through the book of Acts this morning. Acts chapter 1. And I'm just going to read the first eight verses. Acts 1, 8. Acts chapter 1, that's in the New Testament, about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. If you don't know your Bible, that's fine. That's why we're here, to learn our Bibles. So if you open your Bible up about two-thirds of the way in, and then take a right and go five books, you'll be at Acts. Acts chapter 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, which means lover of God, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Father, we thank you again for your word. We love your word. We treasure your word. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, that your word is perfect, converting the soul. Your testimonies are sure, making wise the simple. Your statutes are right, rejoicing the heart. And in keeping these things, Lord, there is great reward. So, Lord, we dig in this morning. We, We pray, even as we're talking about hearing and responding, give us ears to hear. Help us, Lord, to respond to the things that we hear today that you're speaking to our hearts. We know you want to speak to us. We know, Lord, you want to be intimately involved in everything that we're thinking, in the the questions we have, the provisions we need, and the direction you want to take us. So, Lord, we're praying as we go through this series that this year would be so saturated with prayer we would, we would enter into next year, 2019, and would nev- that would not change. It would just get more and more for us. So please bless this study in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. You can be seated. So waiting with great anticipation. This weekend, we're beginning this study through the book of Acts. We're going to do one chapter a study. So 28 chapters, 28 studies. And what I want to do is ask you if you would commit yourself to, to reading the chapter of that week. So next week... It's chapter 2. I'm going to ask you to read it because what I'm going to be doing is kind of gleaning some of the things that I'm hearing. I'm not, going to be, I'm not preparing my studies 20 weeks ahead. Every week I'm going to be reading that chapter and seeking from the Lord what he wants to say to us as a church. But I would also like you to come having done the same yourself. And that we're, as, as we're going through this year, God wants to speak to us. And I have a greater and greater desire to be consciously aware of what God is saying to me. And hearing him through the scriptures or through worship or through fellowship. So I want to ask you, would you commit yourself to doing that? Maybe it's one time, maybe it's two, maybe it's four. Here's what used to happen in Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. I was there for five years. And Pastor Chuck Smith, who began the whole Calvary Chapel movement, he would, on on Sunday night, get this, he would teach through, when I first went, ten chapters of the Bible. Going through the whole Bible on Sunday night. So we'd be there two hours. He, he, it, it. Over time, 
He then went to about five and then three. And then by the end, when he was doing, he was going about one, one a, a Sunday night. But what he would do is he would, he would take his sermon from the passages, if it was 10, chapter 5, and Sunday morning, he would teach a topical from the passage. And so the fun thing was that we'd read the 10 chapters and try and figure out what's he going to talk about. So I'm going to ask you, maybe that's another thing, just to read chapter 2 for next week, praying as you do, ask the Lord to show, hey, what are you speaking to me here? And then as we get together, we'll see what the Lord's given to me for us as the church. And he wants to speak to his church. Can I hear amen on that? He wants us to hear him. And he wants us to know his voice. My sheep know my voice. They follow me. He's got something he's saying to us on a daily basis as we spend time with him. And I'll talk about this a little more in the word and in prayer. So the introduction to the book of Acts from my personal Thomas Nelson Bible is this. Jesus' last recorded words on earth are a supplement to the Great Commission. But you shall this is it. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. The book of Acts, written by Luke, is the story of the men and women who took that commission seriously and began to spread the news of a risen Savior to the most remote corners of the known world. Unquote. And I say, Lord, may that be exactly what we're continuing. So the book of Acts records the first 30 years of the history of the church, capital C. It's the history of the early church, as we call it. And by the way, if you want to know what the church should be like, don't look at church history. It's pretty riddled with a lot of problems. We want to look to the book of Acts. God's given his word. This is what the, the church is to be. So we're going to look at that as we, we focus in on some things in the book of Acts. So in 100 and, with 120 people in that upper room, in 30 short years, we read in the book of Acts, they turned the world upside down. They turned the world upside down, really, which is right side up, by preaching of the gospel and planting churches. So the book of Acts records the birth of the church. It's God's uh, birth announcement of his church. The book of Acts records the growth of the early church. The book of Acts Acts bolds and double underlines the power and the need we have for the power of the Holy Spirit, beginning right in verse 8. The book of Acts lays out the problems of the early church. And I say, can I hear an amen? amen. We have problems. In fact, I love what, what uh, one brother said, that it's messiology. That we got a lot of messes, and that's what it is, the church, and that's what missions is and everything else that the church involved in. It's messiology. There are a lot of problems, and God doesn't blanket over those. He addresses them in the book of Acts as in the whole Bible. The book of Acts emphasizes the place of evangelism and the importance of preaching the gospel. The book of Acts presents the strategy for missions in this book. And we'll look at that as we get to the, to the later chapters. As for our study through Acts, it's going to have an emphasis on prayer. Now, in the book of Acts, more than any other except one other book in the New Testament is where prayer is talked about more than any other book. Over 50 times the word prayer or supplication or something is used, and also with that, the actual words prayed. So over 50 times in the book of Acts, this theme, this topic of prayer is all through it, saturated. Now, the only other book that has more is the Gospel of Luke. And Luke wrote both Acts and the book of Luke. He said, the former account, which is the book, the Gospel of Luke, he talks about prayer in there over 60 times. So do you think prayer is important? It's very important. 
Prayer, I believe, is a deciding factor in our lives. So I want to talk about that this morning a little bit. And then as we go through this series, we're going to focus in on this whole area of prayer as the church, capital C. So the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering, look, by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days, and Pentecost is 50 days, so about 10 days they're waiting, and speaking of the things pertaining to what? The kingdom of God. Are you not thankful that there's a kingdom of God? So let's set the scene a little bit. Jesus rose from the dead. In so doing, he shocked those who believed in him and were following him. They never anticipated that happening. He shocked his own disciples, 12 of them. He shocked even his inner circle of Peter, James, and John, who were closest to him. They were not anticipating his resurrection, even though... Six or seven times, he told them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to, the, to, to these people. They're going to scourge me. They're going to crucify me. I'm going to die. And he always included, but I'm going to rise on the third day. He told them that, but it went whoop, right over their heads because that was, they were not anticipating that happening. So after he was crucified, you find them wandering around, hiding. The men on the road to Emmaus, oh, man, they're bummed out. Jesus pulls up alongside and says, so what are you bummed out about? Well, haven't you heard what happened? And we had hope, we had hope, we had hope. Well, their hopes were dashed at the cross. They thought it's over, not anticipating the resurrection from the dead. And so the first thing I would say from this, Jesus came to live and die for us, and that should give us great anticipation of what he has in store. He died and rose again the third day. He died for me, he died for you. He paid the penalty for our sins. That's why he came. And then he rose again the third day to give us the greatest anticipation we should ever have. Hey, this is what he's already done. What do you have in store for us now, Lord? So we wait with great anticipation because Jesus came to live and die for us. And Jesus rose from the dead for us by many infallible proofs. He is the son of God. He is the savior of the world. He is Lord over all. So he says the former account, which is the gospel of Luke, it's the, the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, come into the world. So may I say this to my dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, because Jesus rose from the dead, we should always be living with great anticipation of what he has in store for our lives. Great anticipation. anticipate God. Once you do that, everything falls into perspective. What's God going to do next? What am I going to see God working today? Where am I going to see him working? And he's always working as he's always speaking. When When will I hear God speaking to me today? What will he be saying to me today? That's why you have to keep your Bibles open and your noses in them. As do I. God, how are you going to get me out of this predicament? How are you going to 
help me out with this problem? How are you going to be answering my prayers today? And if not today, Lord, how about tomorrow? Or how about in a month or a year? Lord, whatever it is, I know that you are going to answer them. That's the fabulous thing about prayer. It's God's idea. And Jesus said, ask and you shall receive. And I believe that speaks mainly of provision. Ask and you shall receive. He's going to provide what we need. Seek and you will find. To me, that speaks of my questions. So I've got questions. God's got answers. And if I don't hear an answer from him, I do know this. He is the answer. As he said to Abraham, I am your shield and your seed and the great reward. As we have him, we have the answer. But he's got answers. You have questions? God's not intimidated by your questions. So you ask in prayer. Knock and the door will be opened. That to me is, the, is speaking of direction. So prayer takes care of provision, questions, and direction. No greater thing. So as we pray, anticipating God's the one who said, ask, seek, knock, ask and keep seeking. And we know all this passage in prayer. We'll get into some of those, I'm sure, as we go through here. There needs to be perseverance, as we heard from Greg Parker, as we heard from Lowell and the studies they brought to us. And their definitions of prayer are fabulous. But these are the things that we see all through the scriptures that tell us, stay at it. Because it's God's idea, it's God's command, it's God that desires that fellowship with us. You shall be my witness. You shall be my witnesses. The word witnesses means martyr. You're going to live your life in such a way that you will die for me if need be. You're going to lay your life down, take up your cross, and you're going to follow me. And may I say, we need deep, intimate fellowship with God in prayer and in his word as God is shaping and fashioning us to be more like Jesus Christ. So the former account. Now, here's a couple things I'd like to share from this part. Some of you need to settle your former account with God. You were born in sin. You are a sinner. You are on all counts guilty as charged. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't say some have sinned. It says all have sinned. You were, we were born in the world in sin, separated from God. All are guilty before God. If you haven't made your peace with God through Jesus Christ, you are guilty as charged. You need to take care of that, your, your account with God. And only, that can only happen through Jesus Christ. The, one, the only thing your sin already bought you, the wages, is death. The wages of sin is death. And the only one who can give you eternal life is Jesus Christ. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. It's a gift to you through repentance and faith. It's a gift to you for the asking. But you've got to come on God's terms. And God's terms are truth. And he's laid it out. The dark black background of the glorious gospel is that we're all sinners and that we all need a salvation. And that's provided for us through Jesus Christ. You must make that decision. I want to give you an opportunity to do that at the end of our study today. To come to Christ. I hope and I pray, we pray as believers in this room, that you will come to know Jesus Christ, the forgiveness that he offers, the freedom that he gives you, and the peace that you can have with God and of God through the rest of your life. Fabulous. You're not yet saved. Now, he rose again with many infallible proofs. Let me add a little bit more for you who are wrestling possibly with this decision. And by the way, there is a battle going on for your soul. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? You can't give anything to God in exchange for your eternal life. 
The devil is real. He's true. He is a malevolent being who hates you and wants to see you in hell for all eternity. That's, his, that's what he's doing. So as you're thinking these things through, know this. There's a spiritual battle going on because you are, you are spirit, soul, and body. You are not your body. You are spirit, soul, and body. When you die, you will leave that body. Hopefully, it'll last as long as you would like. You will leave it. You will depart from it. And you will stand in, at this doorway into eternity before God. One question he's going to ask you, what did you do with my son? What choice did you make concerning my son? Now, the evidence is overwhelming of who Jesus Christ is. The evidence for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ has been historically, scientifically, and prophetically Time and time again, by the most vigorous of skeptics and critics of Christianity, it has been proved infallible. The evidence personally for you, in your mind and heart, is inescapable. Because I know what Jesus said. The Holy Spirit is going to be on you, convicting you of these things in order to draw you to the Father and be saved through Jesus Christ. God will wait for you. We wait with anticipation now knowing him. But listen, God is waiting and will wait for you. So why would you keep him waiting one more hour? Who loves you so much, he gave his son for you. Isaiah 30, 18. Therefore the Lord will wait, listen, that he may be gracious to you. And therefore he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. What a great verse. Isaiah 30, 18. The Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you, and therefore he will be exalted so that he might be merciful to you. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. That's death and hell. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. That's heaven and eternal life. And God wants that for you. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? Repentance. Turning from your old life and turning to God who wants to be gracious. He's waiting for you. Peter puts it this way, 2 Peter 3.8. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God does not want, in fact, the Bible says that judgment is his strange act, his strange work. God doesn't get his jollies in judging people as a just judge that he must. He's not willing that any should perish. So humanly speaking, we can wait a day. But we have a hard time waiting two days or a week for answers, for what we want. And we would never wait a thousand years. Can you hear an amen? But here's the deal. God speaking, he would wait for you a thousand years. He would do that. The problem is you don't have a thousand years. You might have 50. In fact, you don't know. You might walk out that door today. Get in your car and somebody hits you and you're in eternity. You don't know that. Thus, the urgency of the message this morning to you who need to make your former account with God. You need to settle that with God through Jesus Christ. You don't know what awaits. So the urgency is not to wait, but today give yourself to Christ. Give yourself to Jesus. 
It's the most important decision you'll ever make, and when you make it, you will find out, oh, man, I remember when I came back just as a prodigal. Six or seven years on, on running away from God and living for myself, and I came back, and the first thing that struck me as I repented and got right with God down in Costa Mesa was, where have I been? What have I been doing? When you realize and meet your maker and you meet the God who loves you, you realize he had a plan, he has a desire still yet for you and he's got so many things for you and you come to him and you realize how much he loves you and what he's done for you and all of a sudden you realize, you know, I'm happy to walk away from that past life. Gladly do it. That's why I believe part of making your public confession is battling through all the reasons, all the excuses, all the reasons you say, I'm not, I'm not ready, battling through them by standing and making your confession publicly, all of a sudden you realize, I've just done what God wants me to do, I have peace with God, and all those other things just sort of wash away immediately. And that's why I believe public confession is part of the reason that Jesus said that. If you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father, but if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father, because Jesus knows how important it is that we stand for him, and when we do, he fills us with his Holy Spirit, he backs us up, and we realize, why didn't I do this six, seven, eight years ago? Why do they walk away from the Lord? Which is the other thing I'd like to share a little bit from this former account. Some of you have some present accounts you need to get right with the Lord. You've walked away from the Lord. You haven't been doing the things that you know in your heart. You've been living for yourself. You become a prodigal, which I did. You've walked away. And by the way, it's usually subtle. The slow meandering of the heart away from God and allowing things and making compromises. And pretty soon, you're so far from the Lord in your heart and mind. And you're, you're, you're just wondering, wow, like the prodigal son who went out and spent his all of his wealth on riotous living. So I'm going to go and have fun. Listen, it is no fun if you don't have the God of joy. It lasts very temporarily. And pretty soon he comes to his senses. He's actually eating in the pigsties. He sobs and says, oh, how much, how much better was it when I was with my father in his house? I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. I'd rather be just in this door. Just, Lord, I'll just be your servant, whatever it is. And God says, I got you. You're mine. Give him the ring. Give him the robe. Because his, he was dead. He's now alive. He was lost. He's now found. Oh, God is the seeking God who seeks after you and wants you to come to him. And so to you who maybe need to get some things squared away with God, I hope today, today you'll do that. That you'll go get some prayer. Say, I'm, I, I want to come back to the Lord. I want to leave these things that's been going on. And there are a lot of things that could be, we could list. But get it right with God today. Give your life back into his hands. I love that scripture in Psalms. Underneath are the everlasting arms. He hasn't let go of you. He'll go the extra mile plus with you. Always knocking on the door of your heart. As in Revelation, but see, the door handle is only on your side. You have to open the door. And Jesus said, I'll come in. I'll come in. Verses 4 through 8, we have the promise of the Holy Spirit. He said in verse 4, you have heard from me. In verse 5, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In verse 8, you shall receive power. And then in verse 8 again, you shall be my witnesses. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk much about this throughout the book of Acts. Next week, we'll, we'll talk more about the 
outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in chapter two. So read that, read ahead on that. But we wait with great anticipation because of this. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. God himself, the person of the Holy Spirit, has taken up residence in your life, in your body. We are the temple, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do I understand that? I don't, but I enjoy him. Him, not it, him. He, in our lives, is the power to live our lives as witnesses for Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said to them, you go to Jerusalem, you stay here, and you wait until you have power from on high. And because if you don't, you're going to be in a world of trouble because the world is full of trouble. Now, this, the chapter, uh, verse 8, is the outline for the book of Acts. Chapter 1 through 8. Now, 8 is a transition. Some would say 1 through 7. I want to say 1 through 8 is Jerusalem. Chapters 9 through 12 are in Judea and Samaria, going out. The ring's going out a little more. And then chapters 13 through 28 to the end of the earth, and just say, to be continued. The book of Acts is an open book. Any of you who are older ever watch Lost in Space? Now, that was a funky show, but when I was little and watching it, it was the greatest. And at the end of the show, every week, to be continued. And you'd have the robot... Danger, danger, will Mr. Smith and Dr. Smith. Some of you are laughing, so you're old. (laughs) The book of Acts isn't funky. The book of Acts is the work of God through our faith in Jesus Christ. And it's to be continued. It's still being written today by you and me, the church, capital C. So he says, which you have heard of me. Now, here's what I find also fascinating. In chapters 14, 15, and 16 of the Gospel of John, Jesus there emphasizes over and over again that they will be receiving the Holy Spirit. In his last discourse, before he's going to be crucified, betrayed and crucified, right the day following, what does he talk to his disciples about, among other things? A main area of his his discourse to them is the Holy Spirit. So here, I'll capture it for you. We have been given the person of God, the Holy Spirit, to abide with us forever. He dwelt dwelt with us before salvation. He dwells in us at salvation. We are now the children of God, never to be orphaned. His presence in our life is not temporary, but forever is permanent. It is he who keeps us focused and trusting Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit who teaches us all things. The Holy Spirit helps us in all our weaknesses and, listen, and strengths. He comforts us in all our sorrow, guides us in all our questions and decisions, and in all things, so much more is he actively involved in our lives. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. It is he who empowers us to live overcoming lives. How? By bearing witness to Jesus Christ. Very simple. So please, next week, chapter 2, read it. Verse 9, how are we doing? Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, I would have loved to have seen that, but I'll tell you what, I'm going to love seeing it happen the other way, because notice, and he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus, listen, is in heaven. 
And so we, have, we, we wait with great anticipation because Jesus will come again for us. Can I hear that again? He is coming again for us. Thus, if that's what's in the future, what does God have between now and then for us? Anticipate God. All he wants to do, all of his promises. He is waiting so that we would be even greatly, greater used by him in the things concerning the kingdom of God coming. The things concerning his second coming. We have hope beyond the grave. The kingdom will come because the king is coming. His return is sure and our redemption is secured. He purchased us. He sealed us with his Holy Spirit. He said, you're mine. Now live your life until I come and get you. Live it out for me with the power of the Holy Spirit. A side note, Jesus is in heaven. What's he doing in heaven? He is interceding for us as he sits at the right hand of the Father. He is making intercession for us. I say, how can you lose? How can we lose? He's praying for us. He said to Peter, you're going to deny me. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And Jesus said to Peter, Peter, you, you say you're going, to, you're going to rise up at the time? Let me tell you, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. But I have prayed for you that your what? Faith fail not. In the deepest, darkest place of life, there's that faith that may have seemed to be put out. It hasn't been put out. Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for me. He ascends into heaven. Then the disciples returned to Jerusalem and continued, listen, in prayer. You got the list of people. The 11, Judas has already committed suicide. He's not there. The women that have been with Jesus. So there's this group of 120 people in the upper room. And what are they doing? They're praying. They were devoted to prayer. Here's another reason we can have great anticipation because we are the family of God. We are the family of God. Last night as we were praying before the service, one of the sisters who was with us praying, part of the prayer team, she was praying for people, herself included, who don't have family. Just saying, Lord, when they come here, would they know that they have a family? That they're not alone. And we have a family. It's the forever family of God that we're a part of. And we're praying for our church all the time that there'd be that one accord that there'd be that unity, that when people come in here, they want to come, they come and they experience what a family is. Yeah, a lot of messes, a lot of problems, but we're a family. And you know what it's like to be a family. You didn't choose who would be in your family. God gave you who would be in your family. And I know from my own personal experience with six kids, I grew up with four sisters. I know exactly what it, what, what, what it feels like to say, I wish you weren't my sister. I wish you weren't my brother. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, we are. We're family. We are family. <laughs> okay, I'll stop. <laughs> Let me show this. Last week, we had a week of prayer. It was, it was Monday, 6 a.m., 6 p.m., all the people. I want to tell you, they were amazing, every one of them. And I'm not exaggerating. Because God spoke to my heart and our hearts. We read the scriptures. There's no better uh, way to prime the pump of prayer than to read the Bible. And he gave us things. So each day we prayed about a certain area of our church. We prayed for the gospel and the great commission. We prayed for the brokenhearted one day. 
We prayed that we would be out as Jesus coming again soon. And it was fabulous. See, that's family. That's what they were doing. They're gathered together to pray. Yesterday morning, again, another fabulous hour of prayer. God speaking to us in our staff chapels when we have those on Thursday. God speaking to us. That's what I'm praying. Lord, speak to us and let us respond to you in prayer. No better way. The first thing we should do as we're hearing from the Lord is respond in prayer. And we need to do that not only individually, but how important is the corporate prayer meeting. And they're gathered together in one accord and they're praying. And they're seeking God about the things that they have heard. So they continue in prayer. Peter calls the first, what I'm going to call, family meeting. In verses 15 through 22. And here, I'll let you read that. But he talks about the scriptures and the book of Psalms. So the other reason that we have great anticipation. Because we hear the very word of God. He speaks to us. That should give us great anticipation, provided we have our noses in our Bibles and our knees on the ground. So we want to hear what God's saying. Now, Peter understood from the Scriptures that Judas was to be replaced. He betrayed Jesus. He went out and committed suicide. In the Scriptures, Psalm 2 and Psalms, he says, it was written in the Scriptures, so this is what we need to do. And so he gives the qualifications there, and we'll look at this later. God speaking to them through the scriptures. Verse 23 through 26, closing the chapter. They chose Matthias to replace Judas. I'm going to read these verses. They proposed to, now someone, my pastor Chuck Smith, used to say when he would teach this, they chose two. So they said, God, here are the two. What's your choice? And Pastor Chuck would say, well, how do you know God wants either one of them? Maybe he's got a third choice. Talk about that in a minute. So we want to be careful we're not limiting God, Amen. But they chose these two. Notice what it says. They prayed and said, You, O Lord, who knows the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen. You have chosen. To take part in this ministry, apostle from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place, verse 26. And they cast their lots. Last time you ever read this in the Bible. And the lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So we wait because we know, listen, we know that God will direct our steps. Can I hear an amen? He will direct our steps. And we need to have great anticipation in a growing faith that God is directing our steps. I want to talk a little bit more about that in a moment. (laughs) I like this. This is what happened. They had an election and they rolled the dice. Does that remind you of anything in our country lately? They had an election, they rolled dice. So who's to say, who says the Bible's not relevant? That's very relevant. We just, anyway, okay, you don't get it. I, I thought it was good, but it's all right. It's okay. It's my joke. I enjoyed it. <laughs> so was Matthias's God's choice? My answer to you is you decide. You decide. Those who would say, well, yes, he is. The action was taken by the apostles themselves, led by Peter. The decision was agreed by the entire 120. They discussed it in the light of scriptures and in much prayer. Subsequent scriptural mentions, the 12 does not negate Matthias. There's no hint of any rebuke, correction, or criticism that took place. So some say, well, yes, and that's why. Others say, no, no, he's not the guy. Because this was prior to Pentecost, the Holy Spirit coming. So it was not led by the Holy Spirit. The apostles did not wait as Jesus told them. It's not Matthias because they're acting on their own initiative. Jesus never gave a command to to choose a replacement. Matthias is never mentioned specifically again, nor are many others though. 
The casting of lots should not have been the means by which they're ascertaining the will of God. And finally, they would say Paul was God's choice as the 12th to fill that place of Judas. But listen, Paul never challenged it. So the question, who's right and who's wrong in this decision that they came to? Again, I would say to you, I don't know. But neither do I care. And I don't think you need to either. I think it's good to think about. But here's the main deal. God knows. God knows. And we'll find out one day. But he knows. And as long as he knows, and he hasn't really told me, as for today, what the important thing is, I say to my first of all, is that God knows. And thus it's important to know that in our own choices. God knows. He knows our thoughts are far off. He knows what we're thinking. He knows how we got to the decision. He wants to guide that. But listen, it's not a perfect science. Making decisions is not a perfect science. What really I want to say to you from my heart to yours is just understand this. God will direct your steps. He will redirect your steps, provided you're being sensitive and wanting him to do that. He will do it. He, trust the Lord with all your heart, need not your understanding, all your ways acknowledge him, and he, what? Will direct your path. So I need a growing faith in believing that as I'm seeking God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. In fact, someone said, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then do what you want. Because if you love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you will do what he wants. So it's relationship and intimacy in trusting that the Lord wants to guide your life and in telling the Lord, I want you to guide my life, but it's messy. We all know what it is to make wrong decision and bad decision. We also know what it's like to make a good decision. And God wants to be intimately involved in that whole process. So we need a growing faith in trusting God in them. Look at this quote. In any moment of decision, the best thing you can do is the right thing. The next best thing is the wrong thing, and the worst thing you can do is nothing. So as you're making decisions, put yourself in the hands of God. Decisions left in the hands of God will be carefully handled and supernaturally directed. Make your decisions. Stay open. Know that God wants to direct your life. Here's one thing I would say as I have to deal with this in my own. Don't be double-minded. James says if you're double-minded, you're going to be unstable. In other words, make the decision and trust the Lord with it. Now, I'm not talking about blatant sin. Well, I'm just going to go and do this, and it's completely sinful. God's not saying, oh, well, that's okay. I'll direct it. No, no, no. He's saying you need to go get some better directions about what you're thinking. So, again, all this in light of what we want to do to please God. I look at life as a, as, I look, I think of life as a lineup of decisions, And so who's in the batter's box? We need to step up and realize decisions are what gets us on base and gets us around. It's decisions to swing or not. It's those things. It's a lineup of decisions. So who's on deck? What's coming up? And look at it as stepping up to the plate and swing away because God is with you. What really matters is I'm looking to Jesus. I'm keeping my eyes on Jesus. I'm living my life for Jesus. When he is, is the only one who matters, everyone else begins to matter to us. But here's the, one of the chronic problems that I see is that we can be plagued with wanting to please men rather than God. We can be plagued with what men think rather than what God thinks. In fact, I read something as I was just preparing my heart for the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. 
And I had kind of known this, but do you know that at least 70% of women who go to have an abortion do it because of what people are going to think or people pressuring them? And we're prone to that. It's a plague of our sinful natures to want to please men. If you listen to the crowd and try to dance to their tune, you will always be frustrated. If you are overly sensitive to the opinion and criticism of others, you will end up carrying a needless burden of guilt and inadequacy. That's what happens. If you try to, to please yourself, you'll become egocentric and selfish. I say, hey, please God. Look to him. He will be the one that will direct your life and like, direct your path. I want to read a little story because I think it's so good. It captures this. An ancient story is told about a father and his son who were walking along a road one day with their donkey. Soon they met a man who told them how foolish they were to walk when they had a donkey they could ride on. So the father and son hopped on. They hadn't gone very far when another man criticized them for both riding on the donkey. They were too heavy for it, he contended, and were being inhumane. So the boy got off. It wasn't long before a third traveler accused the father of being inconsiderate because he made his son walk while he rode, so the two switched places. Soon they met another person who charged that the son was not being thoughtful of his father, who was so much older than he. When they were last seen, the two were trudging down the road carrying the donkey. That, to me, is what happens in all these things of trying to please people. Listen, God will direct your path. I say have great anticipation that God will direct your path. I think of Paul the Apostle as he's writing. He says, God who called me from my mother's womb. He's looking back in his life, and we can do the same exact thing. You knit me together, my mother. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. He said, he, God who called me from my mother's womb. He looks back at his life and listen, he was killing Christians. He hated Jesus. But all the way along as he looked back, he realized all the way my Savior leads me. And God was allowing the things in Paul's life, all of his background, all the things that he learned to bring him to a place where he encountered them on the road to Damascus. And at Paul turn Paul upside down, right side up, and on fire for Jesus Christ. He will meet us in every pathway, in every intersection. He'll lead us in every road that we travel, every decision we make. He's there to be with us, and we need to believe it, grow in our faith and understanding it, and listen and hear what he's saying, responding as best we can, doing what he's called us to do, make the decision, and God will direct our path. I'm getting pretty excited here. So my final thought, and I want to then... Give a Jesus call. I want to ask anyone here who today is the day of your salvation. I also want to encourage any of you who are prodigals to take your walk over to that prayer table at some point. And then what I want to do is ask you to respond to the things I want to just close here. And here's what I'm just going to ask you to respond to today. As we sing our last song as Dan comes up and, and we're singing this final song, which is a fantastic song about the love of God. Why should I gain from his reward? I do not have an answer. Um, I'm going to ask us to, to start the song sitting. And then as we sing it, as appropriate for you, I'm t- trusting every believer will be standing by the end, that you just make a commitment and say, God, I'm going to spend this week with my nose in my Bible and my knees on the ground for some, some portion of time. I'm going to spend time with you in prayer and reading your Bible. And just make that commitment. I'm I'm asking you, and I'm going to emphasize this all the way through the year as we go. We need time with God in prayer and in his word. 
So here are my final thoughts. They're my personal thoughts, but I'm going to share them with you. I'm not interested in going through this year talking about prayer. Talking about hearing and responding to God. Talk will get me nowhere. Talking about prayer will do absolutely no good for me, for you, or for anyone else. My prayer is that we, myself, we, should the Lord tarry, experience a year of praying, of hearing and responding, that will shake loose the chains of sin, selfishness, death, and hell. That we are taking the time to quiet our minds and slow down our lives, to engage with God in meaningful, life-changing prayer, supplication, and intercession, from which we will carry on until Jesus returns. And as I said, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. He said, when you pray. So I'm going to ask again as we sing this final song, after a little a Jesus call, that you would just stand before him and say, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. You want to talk to me? I want to hear. I want to understand the dynamic of my relationship with you and how you speak to me and how you lead me. And I was telling our staff team at our chapel, my prayer is I will grow in real time as the real deal, as a Christian man praying, as a Christian husband praying, as a Christian father praying, as a Christian grandfather praying, as a Christian pastor praying, and a lot on it goes, devoted and exercised in this. The only way it's ever going to happen is not by accident. It's going to be on purpose. So I know we're going a little over, but would you bow your heads, you believers in the room, please. Bow your heads and pray. I just want to give a short invitation. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, as you've heard this morning again the gospel, that he loves you, he died for you, that you have an account to be settled, and it's your account of sin, that you're guilty before God. But Jesus came to pay the price for your guilt and your sin, All that was placed on the cross. He laid on him the iniquity of us all. That includes you. And there's a transaction that can take place in your heart when you turn from your wicked ways, turn from your sinful life, turn from walking not with God. And you turn to him. That's repentance. You turn away from that, but you must turn to God. And then you confess Jesus as the Savior of the world, and you ask him to be your Savior by confessing that you're a sinner, acknowledging you need Jesus, asking to forgive you, And he will give you eternal life, new life, born again by the Spirit of God. He'll fill you with the Spirit and you will be a part of our family. So if that's you today, there's three simple things I'm going to ask you. And the first one is just to raise your hand because I want to acknowledge you. We want to be praying and we're praying, believers. There's a battle going on for your soul. And you might be wrestling right now. I say to you, make the decision. So just slip up your hand and keep it up. I want to make sure I see that. That you today is the day of your salvation. We're praying. I'm looking. Just keep, if you want, if that's you, please just slip up your hand. Next thing I'm going to ask you to do is to stand and then make your way to the table where they'll pray with you. Is there a hand up there, Robin? Okay, awesome. Awesome. We're rejoicing. Anyone else? Okay, would you please raise your hand? Would you stand? I'm not going to embarrass you. Just stand where you are. you're not ready to do that, God's not mad at you, but oh, he's longing for you. And now as we sing this last song, and by the way, if, you're, if you need to get some things squared away with the Lord this morning, you can either come up after or 
go to one of the tables and there'll be people there to pray for you. That's what they want to do and they want to keep praying for you this week. So as we sing this last song, and Dan, I'm going to ask you if you close in prayer. When done. Can we just, just start seated? And as we're singing this song, it's a fabulous song. And as we do, somewhere through it, there are three, three verses. Would you just stand and we'll all stand together eventually. Say, Lord, I want to commit myself as best as I can to having time with you on a daily basis in your word and in prayer. Let's do it.